Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. The way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Be Be seated. So I wanted to come to this passage for a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the passages we looked at at Triple B, one of the sermons that that um, the men's group looked at this past Friday night that Lloyd-Jones had written and preached a sermon on. And, and also because I think it's just, I think we are a fearful and anxious people. And, I, you know, maybe it's particular to this congregation. I think it's broader than that. I think it's really, um, it's really been one of the effects of, of modern communication, of uh, constant assaults with the next thing that's going to destroy the world. I mean, seriously, I open up Apple News on my phone, and within two minutes, there are seven other things that could lead to my death that I hadn't considered before. I mean, it's just like constant fear-mongering. Everywhere we turn, everything is on the absolute verge of collapse. It's a calamity, right? Everything is an absolute calamity. And we don't think that affects us. And for some of you who have faith and a strong faith, it doesn't. And praise God. It just doesn't phase you. Um, you know that, that journalists and reporters lie all the time right? And the only thing that gets clicks is something that is going to kill you, right? I mean, we don't want things that are going to, you know, put a penny in our bank account. We want to read about the things that are lurking around the corner that might kill us, right? But, but all of this just adds up. But th- there are others of us where it does, it does affect us, and it weighs us down, and we do get and live in constant fear. And so I wanted to come to this passage and, and um, just work through it and hope that some sort of help comes out of it. So really, 6 and 7 is what we're focused on. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Power, love, and discipline. So the passage we're looking at, it begins with these words, for this reason. So we have to begin by thinking about what those words point back to. It seems 
clear to me that the Apostle Paul is referring to um, the sincere faith of Timothy. That faith that first dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, who are named here. And then through their investment, right, his grandmother and his mother invest in him, it now dwells, the faith dwells in Pastor Timothy. And Timothy loves God. He believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he is called to minister to the churches along with the Apostle Paul. Often the Apostle Paul gets things going and then Timothy is left behind to do the hard work of setting up elders' boards and putting structure within the church. Timothy had a hard task. Because of the presence of his sincere faith, the Apostle Paul reminds him to do something. Look at the text. It says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so the word translated here, kindle afresh, uh, in the NASB is translated as fan into flame in the ESV and it's stir up in the King James. The Greek is one of these wonderful compound words in the Greek, and it's um, anazo pureo, ana upward, zoon alive, pureo, to set on fire. And so a, a wooden, quite literal um, in, you know, rendering would be enlivened by setting on fire, right? Enliven those gifts in you by setting them on fire. And so, um, the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy that the gift he received supernaturally through the laying on of hands, whatever it was, had to be rekindled. It had to be relit. It had to be enlivened, worked on, stirred up, um, fanned into flame, even by his own effort. I mean, that's interesting to think about. We think that a supernatural gift wouldn't need you know, ongoing effort, that it, it came to him supernaturally, and that's all there is to it. He can turn it off and turn it on as he would like, and it's, it's there. Um, but Timothy's gift had to be stirred up. Someone may be gifted with a good voice, Right? Musical mind, really excellent voice. But if they don't use their voice, guess what? That voice will lose its quality. It will lose its, its you know, ease and its utility. So those who are born with something that others might not have, physical, good physical structure of those vocal cords and a mind that understands music, ears that, that hear in other ways that some ears don't, and the right temperament, that gift still needs constant work, right? Constant work, um, attention, practice, practice. Now, our spiritual gifts the same way. Let's say someone has the gift of generosity. They naturally are willing to part with their money and give it to others. They have the resources, right? They have the ability but there comes along some nagging feelings that they should store up their treasures because China's about to invade, right? They're reading Apple News. 
And they're like, man, I should be doing some prepping. You know, I should have some MREs in the basement, just in case. And I should have an arsenal of guns. And so maybe instead of tithing, you know, I should buy, buy some guns. It's prudent, it's protection of the family, it's manly, it's masculine, right? Um, look, the stock market might crash. I, I can't, my general, can I really afford to be generous, right? Or, or, you know, the Russians might pop off a few nukes. Well, I better have gold then and not be, but, but all of these things, right, right, militate against that gift that you perhaps thought you had or really have, generosity, right? Though you may excel, the command of Scripture is always excel still more. And so um, you have to work at being generous, even if you have the gift of generosity. There will be assaults against you. The devil will come and tempt you in certain ways, right? You may have the gift of discernment, and that discernment, though, always needs to be honed by the Word of God, right? If you just think you have the gift of discernment, you're never reading the Word of God, your discernment is going to grow terrible. It's going to fall away. You know, you may have evangelistic zeal, but that evangelistic gift needs to be stirred up by you know, as you encounter and study the thoughts and worldviews and sins of the particular people you're talking to. Again, so think of what it means to fan something into flame. You fan those dying embers of a fire. You, you know, you, you, you place some new wood on those dying embers and you, you blow on it or you get a fan and you, you get that air going across it and it, it, it begins a blazing fire. You know, the heat and the fire had to be there. There had to be those embers, but your fanning would have been, you know, um, if you hadn't fanned them into flame, then they would not be doing much good. Okay? So many people have gifts, but they have forsaken the means of causing them to blaze into a blazing rage of giftedness. Right? And the means of that are... Uh, there's a phrase that, that uh, Tim Bailey says. He says, the church is omniscient about your gifts. The church will exercise your gifts in the church and you'll know whether you have that gift or not. The church will let you know. The elders will let you know, right? And so it's, we all think we ourselves are omniscient about our gifts, but no, it's actually the church that that makes those sort of decisions. So, um, but you have to, the me, so the means of in getting these gifts to be, in, you know, to uh, be fanned into flame are the church. It's the study of God's word. It's prayer, right? It's fellowship. It's repentance. It's counsel. It's all these means, right? But have you known people who are undoubtedly gifted by God, perhaps with eloquence or with zeal, with wisdom, with kindness, but whose gift faded because it wasn't stirred up? Perhaps, I mean, that's how you feel. At one point, you were, you were very zealous in this particular gift, and now it, it's, um, it's, it's no longer there. 
most likely um, that happened because you thought you had the gift but didn't need the outside help in order to fan it into flame and to exercise it. They had the gift, but they were, you know, misdirected in the use of it. Every heretic who ever lived had some sort of gift, right? But when left untethered to the Word of God, to Christ's church, and to those who would have helped hone that gift, it becomes a curse, right? It becomes a curse. It doesn't become a blessing to others. In a sense, this is why when we bring candidates up for ordination, we look for both gifting and education, right? A man must be given gifts for office, but he must also have had them fanned into a flame by other godly ministers who have been for three years working on him and encouraging him and discouraging him at various points, right? And so we, we don't just want to see guys who um, are very self-aware about their gifts, no, we want to see guys who have been through training and have demonstrated their gifts to all those who are watching scrupulously. That's part of fanning those gifts into a flame. So if you believe what you so if you have what you believe is a gift from God, do this. One, make sure you have that particular gift because most of us are mistaken about what gifts we may have or we're just clueless. And then second, once confirmed, work at making the most of the gift, right? If it's given to you by God, then he intends you to use it for his glory. He intends you to use it for the good of the church, for building up your brothers. So hone it, increase it, break it down to the ground and build it back up and build those muscles. So what was the gift that Timothy received? Well, Scripture doesn't say. We don't know. Um, what gifts do, do, are mentioned in Scripture? As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving. This is 1 Peter 4. Employ it in serving one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Romans 12, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, of, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, right? And we could go through 1 Corinthians 12 also, um, you know, God has appointed in the church apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, all of those wonderfully mysterious spiritual gifts. Now, some of these gifts, I believe, were special gifts given to the church at the initial opening, outpouring of the Spirit at that time. So today, they do not appear. They are not longer um, in, uh, in use. Apostle, no longer, okay? There are no apostles. There are no apostles adding to the canon of Scripture, right? No um, no longer gifts of healing, 
no, there are healings, but there are no longer people who have this gift of healing. Um, miracles, tongues. I believe that um, healing miracles and even tongues could happen as a kind of, of miracle today, but I do not believe those gifts reside in individuals, right? But at one time, they did. And those people would have to fan those gifts into flame, right? The gifts that God gives us now are different from those, and still today we have to fan those gifts into flame. But what was Timothy's gifts, gift? Um, because it occurred as had his ordination, we would assume that it has something to do with the work of ministry. We're not specifically told he got some endowment of the Holy Spirit. Was it prophecy? Was it service? Was it words of wisdom or knowledge? Was it exhortation? Was it leadership? Was it mercy? Was it generosity? Was it tongues? I don't know. I don't know. Some point to the following verse and see that when Paul speaks of a spirit of that spirit that was given, they say that the gift that Timothy received was the spirit of boldness to declare the gospel. But I think the apostle is broadening the verse there to speak of what all Christians receive. Okay? It seems obvious in the fact that he says that God has given to us, not to you. He doesn't say us in that verse. He says, I mean, he doesn't say you, he says us. So he's broadening out. But in the end, Timothy receives some sort of gift. And Paul doesn't tell us what it is. He still tells Timothy to fan that thing into flame. You know what we're talking about, you know? That is the important point. Calvin says, we ought to strive to bring to perfection everything that is good in us. If you have anything good in you, that's a gift from God, and you should strive to make it even better. Do you have any good attributes? Right? Think about them. Kindle, he says, what is languid. And then Spurgeon, always uh, playful, says, stir up your gifts like a fire. It will not burn without poking sometimes. You've got to poke your gifts. You've got to stir up the embers. Now, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that he is a minister, but also as a Christian has not received a spirit of what? Timidity. What is Timidity. Timidity is cowering fearfulness. You know, if I were timid when I preached, I would go like this. Let's read the Word of God. Right? I mean, just hiding behind something is how, how we would preach. That is the spirit that has not been given to Christians. Why would the Apostle Paul remind Timothy of that? Because he's working in the ministry. He will be dealing with people, and the work will be hard. He has to preach the word in season and out of season. He has to reprove. He has to rebuke. He has to encourage. But that encouragement is not only for Timothy as a pastor, but simply Timothy as a Christian. He's a new man as a Christian, right? He has gone from a fear of man to a fear of God, 
So he no longer needs fear man, but he must fear God. That is true of every Christian. One of the things that happens at our conversion is that our fears change, don't they? Is there a point in your life where your fears changed? I mean, if you're a Christian, the answer is yes. If you can't think of anything, you may not be a Christian. Okay? Is there a point in your life where your fears changed? We go from fearing man to fearing God in a moment. We go from fearing physical death to fearing spiritual death. We go from fearing every little thing in this life, from loss of money to loss of health, to fearing the loss of God and the loss of Jesus Christ and the loss of holiness. We go from being cowards who tremble around every corner of life to being courageous who trust God through everything. How can that be? Because we have a Savior who has walked before us. We have the Spirit living within us. We have a Father who cares for us and who promised to never leave us or forsake us, right? How could we fear anything anymore when we contemplate the glory of that truth? We have a Savior who died to redeem us, the Spirit who changed our hearts from rock to flesh, and a Father who loves us with an everlasting love. The triune God cannot be defeated, and we have been rescued by Him. So why are you so timid? Why are you so fearful? Dear brothers and sisters, come on. You're... You're timid and fearful all the time. I know you because I know myself. We're timid and fearful all the time. I mean, there are a few of you who are ignorantly blissful and can just walk through life without a care in the world, and I envy you. I do. But we are a fearful people. Why so much worry? Why so much cowardice? Why so much intense anxiety? Why so much up and down? Why is this? This should not be. Right? Have you contemplated who you are in Christ? Have you stopped to think about the promises of Almighty God? Are they all theoretical and distant and... Not for you, but maybe for somebody else. Have you, have you calmed your thoughts by the salve of God's sovereign love? He loves you. He has released you from your sins. Right? Do you, do you need to live your life in a timid way? That is precisely the way the Apostle Paul argues in Romans. He says... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against the elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God? And then a long list of all the things that we're anxious about. 
Will tribulation, will distress, will persecution, will a lack of food, will a lack of clothing, will dangers and perils, will swords, And he says, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those things can't separate us. They can't sever us. Timidity is the thought that everything has the possibility of separating me from the love of the omnipotent God. That's what timidity is. That's what the spirit of timidity is. Everything has the the ability and the power to separate you from God's love. Think of the boldness with which you could live because of this knowledge that God has set his love upon you. This world is is simply your opera, it's your theater to demonstrate to the loveless world that you know the love of God. This world is the blank canvas upon which you paint with the bright colors of God's goodness. Or not. Not if you're timid, not not if you're fearful, not if you're anxious. You refuse to paint of the goodness of God when you're anxious and when you're timid. We become timid when our fears overwhelm us, don't we? That's what happens. Anxiety comes on when we think anything is beyond God's care and concern, But as I just said, that is not true, and Christian, you have been given a spirit of not timid. That's the spirit you've been given, not timid. Children, some of you children are anxious. I mean, we know our children who are prone to anxiety and those of our children who are not prone to anxiety at all. And they have other troubles. They might be prone to arrogance. Okay? But, but, we, but children, no more timidity. Children, children, children. I see children. I want to see their eyes. Children, there, Abby. Good job. Children, no more timidity. No more timidity. Okay, you don't need to fear tests and fellow students and embarrassing situations and and not even temptations. God has given you a different spirit. You don't have to fear diseases and allergic reactions. You don't. God has given you a different spirit. Wives, no more timidity. You don't need to fear the future. Or fear what God has called you to as a mother or wife. You needn't fear the greatness of your task. You don't have to be afraid. God has saved you. He's pulled you out of a godless culture. And he's made you the glory 
of this world, which is a wife and a mother, and he's given you a different spirit. And so it's no, no, no more timidity. Husbands, no more timidity. You don't need to fear the future or leading a surly wife. You don't need to be fearful. God has given you a different spirit, okay? Not one of timidity. And so, but, but all of us, Christian, no more timidity. You needn't fear anything in creation. No person, no power, right? God is for you. Should that not make you hold your head up? Do you, I mean, really remind yourself of that in the morning. Okay, I'm going to get up this morning and God's for me. Should that not inform or transform your anxious thoughts? Okay, God is for me. Should that not allow you to do that most difficult task for the sake of Christ's glory? Should that not allow you to to suffer whatever he brings with faith? And spend the balance of your days obeying the commands of God. Now, don't mistake timidity with, with gentleness. Timidity is sin. Gentleness is not sin. Okay, timidity is to gentleness as anger is to zeal. Timidity is inaction caused by a lack of faith. Gentleness is a kind of inaction caused by faith. Okay, it's the difference between Peter, you know, Denying he knew Jesus before his questioners, and, which is timidity, and Jesus being silent before those who are questioning him. That's gentleness. So timidity is to live as if God does not see and does not care and is distant. Timidity is to live as if all the promises of God are not for you. Timidity is to live without the confidence that his love should, should fill us. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father, my Lord and my God. And so are you riddled by fears? It it means you're approaching life with timidity. Fear is the product of timidity. Remember that you are an adopted son of God and that when you cry, Abba, Father, he jealously hears and listens to what you have to say. He hears, he jealously steps forward to give himself to you, right? He is your advocate, he is your helper, he is your strength. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful said our Lord. And so Christ has brought, he has wrought peace by his work. Remember it. When the flood of fear and trembling come over you, remember Christ's finished work. You needn't be a coward. You don't need to second guess. You needn't needn't cower and hide. God is for you, dear brothers and sisters, right? Your timidity is a betrayal of the God you claim to love. 
It is to serve your fears. It is to serve your fears. It is to be in bondage to your fears rather than being in bondage to your God and serving your omnipotent God. And so don't be timid with yourself. You know how you can be timid with yourself? You can give yourself a pass on all your sins. Oh, I can't tell myself no. I can't remind myself of the fear of God if I put my hand to this burning kettle, right? I, I can't, don't be timid with yourself. You need to be aggressive with yourself in faith. Don't be timid with your sin. Don't be timid with other people's sin. To do so, when you're, not, when you're timid with others, other people's sins, Proverb tells us that it is hatred especially of our children. If we're timid with our children's sins, then we hate them. Love your children. Don't be timid with their sins. Right? Don't be timid in your prayers with God. You remember Moses before God saying, you know, your people are going crazy down there. You know, and then coming back and interceding on behalf of the people. And, and, but, then, but in the midst of it, telling God, you know, don't, don't wipe us out. Because if, they, if, if God, if, if you wipe us out, nations around are going to see it. I mean, that's bold prayer. Right? Isaiah says, don't give the Lord any rest in your prayers. Don't give him rest. Do not be timid with your friends. Don't be timid with the world. There's so many things that could scare us about the world, so many powers. So just even the, the power of insults, the power of not being on the in-group, the power of, of community, right? So scares us. But don't be timid with the world. God tells you to hate the world. You can't be timid and hate. We have to hate the world. Do not be timid with the evil one. Don't be timid with the devil. We are to resist him and he will flee from us. Now, that is, there is a way we can be um, overbold with the devil, and that's by pronouncing a railing judgment against him, which even the angel Mike, you know, Michael the archangel would not do. Book of Jude, right? And so you can be casual. You should never be casual with the evil one. He's your adversary. But you should resist him firm in the faith. Not be timid with him. Because he ravages the timid. But those who resist him, he flees from. He flees from. He gets scared. A bold Christian scares the devil. And so now briefly, just the rest of the, the passage, instead of timidity, what has the Lord given you by the Spirit within you? It is not the spirit of timidity that we have received. We have received a spirit, Paul writes, of power and love and discipline. And discipline there is more like being of sound mind, being called to one's senses. Right, so power. Think of those Christians who confessed Christ when they were threatened with death if they refused to deny him. Think of Polycarp, one of the first 
Christian martyrs after the apostles. That was the spirit of power at work in him, keeping him faithful. That spirit is at work in all Christians. Think of Elijah before the prophets of Baal. Think of David before Goliath. Think of Paul in the Areopagus. It's that, that power, that boldness to speak. And then love. Think of the sacrificial love of mothers, the protective love of fathers, the willingness of Christians to sacrifice their comfort and their own lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no better example of love than that. Think of the hateful man who despises everybody becoming the kindest man you have ever met. You've met people like that who were converted and became so loving after being so hard-hearted. Think of the formerly demon-possessed Mary Magdalene clinging to the feet of Jesus, just pouring out her love for him. Think of the love between David and Jonathan that was better than the love of women. And then discipline, the last one. Think of the sensual man that abandons his love of flesh, his love of drunkenness, and serves Christ. Think of the academic whose ambition was primarily to despise God by loving Marx, becoming a true professor of truth, and, and professing the Lord Jesus Christ in his classrooms. Think of Moses rejecting the pleasures of Egypt. Think of, of Paul learning of contentment. And so, Christians, this, these attributes describe what you are in Christ. You have been given not a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of discipline. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Jesus Christ, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knows you and loves you with an everlasting love. How then could our lives be marked by timidity? By cowardice, by anxiety, by fear and trembling. rather than power, love, and sound mind. And so, if God is for us, who is against us? God has not given you a spirit of timidity. Your anxieties were not given to you by God. Your anxieties did not come from Him. You've given yourself that kind of spirit, right? Your inaction, your inability to get out of bed, your stomach ulcers, your just grouchiness because you're fearful. Those are all the fruits of your givenness to timidity. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. Does that characterize your life? I've got to go to work tomorrow. There's going to be a lion out there. I better not go to work tomorrow. Is that how your life right now could be characterized? Or is it this, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God has done that. I gave myself the anxiety. He's given me these glorious things, and I'm going to put them into action, okay? Let us then stir up that gift, that gift of a spirit of power and love and discipline 
Let us fan that into flame. We need to, we all need to. Let us together, brothers and sisters, get over this bondage we have, us, you and I, to anxiety, to timidity, to fear. We've wasted enough time on our anxieties, and it does not honor God. Let's honor Him. Let's honor Him, I say, with fear and trembling before Him. If you're going to tremble about anything, tremble before the Lord God Almighty. But do not tremble about anything in His created world. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we're anxious. We confess to you that hearing a sermon on anxiety makes us anxious. And our anxiousness just becomes more fuel for anxiousness. And so, Lord, we repent. We need strength. And you've provided it. Father, open our eyes to the strength of the Spirit within us. Open our eyes to the strength of the Spirit that we have to resist sin. Open our eyes to the strength you have given us to bear responsibility. Lord, open our eyes to this. Open our eyes to the the power you've given us to love others. And Father, may our anxieties diminish and decrease. And when they come up, I pray that we would have the faith to fight them back. Lord, help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.